Finding the Asymptote. This podcast is brought to you by Leaders Nest. Heather Louise sat down with CEO and author Alan Gannett to learn more about his leadership beliefs in his new book, The Creative Curve, How to Develop the Right Idea at the Right Time, which discusses big data entrepreneur Alan Gannett, who overturns a mythology around creative genius and reveals the science and secrets behind achieving breakout commercial success in any field. Hi. How are you doing today? I'm great. Good. It's I'm a wonderful. Win- it's a beautiful Wednesday. Yes. Cold though. I know. It's almost February. Can you believe it? I'm so excited. So can you please tell me your name mm-hmm. and your company and your sure. title? Sure. My name is Alan Gannett. I'm the founder and CEO of a company called TrackMaven. And what do you all do? So TrackMaven is a marketing insights company. So we work with some of the world's biggest, most iconic brands to suck in all their marketing data and turn it into insights and answers. So we have our own platform that allows us to crunch the data, find trends, find patterns, and we also have a consulting team that allows us to actually take that data and tell them what it means. So they don't have to get a PhD or learn how to be data scientists to actually get the benefit of big data. That's great. Could you tell me, where are you from? I'm originally from uh, New Jersey, you know, born to run, no longer there. Did you go to school in D.C.? I went or? to GW here in D.C. and I stayed. Awesome. I'm yeah. in business school at GW yeah. part time. Well, it was great. and So I stayed here. I like it. The buildings aren't too tall. So how did you, when did you start this? I started it uh, August 2012, so oh, almost five and a half years. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's been around. We're like a toddler now. We're kindergartner. Just you're in the walking stage. Yeah, exactly. Really running around. Mm-hmm. We're working and running. Did you always want to have your own company? I was never very good at listening to other people, and so I think I always, you know, wanted to be able to be employed, and so I think this is the only reasonable avenue to do that. But as a kid, I was always starting things. So I started a music magazine in high school while the print industry was dying, which is really stupid. And it didn't work. Um, I think it cost us $2,000 to print it. And I sold like $600 in advertising, which took like a lot of work. But uh, that math doesn't actually work that well. No Rolling Stone for you. No Rolling Stone. (laughs) Um, How did you fall into the data world and technology space? Um, In college, I started a company that was doing Facebook marketing for education brands and colleges. And... It was all, this is early days of Facebook marketing, so you could, it was the Wild West, you could do all this crazy stuff, you could like post stuff on people's walls, and so we were doing all this data-driven marketing around measuring like how viral were our apps, um, how, you know, how cheap we were able to collect clicks, like being very, very math-driven in what we were doing, and I literally basically grew up being a math marketer, and so after that company, I... I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. One of my friends um, had me become CMO of his startup, and I brought this very mathematical, quantitative approach. And what I realized was that in a traditional marketing organization, you have a lot of people who want to be creative, and that's why they're in marketing. They want to be storytellers. And when you try and be math-driven or data-driven, there's graft host rejection. They are like, what is going on? Why am I doing this? They're not very good at it. And so for me, what I realized was that because of 
digital, because of all the data exhaust that's coming off of all these digital platforms, everyone has to become a data-driven or data-assisted marketer, but they don't have the skills, the time, the resources, the money to do it. And so I love this stuff. And so for me, it was, okay, can we be the company that if you're a brand and you want to you know, roll out a data practice into your marketing, like we're the ones you hire, right? We want to be your geek squad for your marketing team. You're right on point. It's so important for companies these days to focus on their numbers and especially when it comes to social interaction, their open rate or their social media, if they're not utilizing their followers and turning those into dollars in such a sense, they're just wasting their time even having an account. Totally. Traditionally in marketing and media, you would come up with a story that you could tell to everyone because it's really, really hard to get a message to a lot of people. So you buy TV ads that would reach millions of people, but you couldn't be very targeted, you couldn't be very specialized. Now, brands are able to be hyper-targeted, hyper-personalized because of digital. And so now, instead of telling one generic story, they're able to tell very specific, very narrow stories that can really resonate with people. And then they can distribute these through very specific channels. And so you have this opportunity as a brand to be way more efficient, to reach way more people in a way which is more authentic, more human, more resonant because you no longer have to create this lowest common denominator message. And so the brands that we're seeing that are being successful in this era is the brands that are phenomenal storytellers. And that's in a very intentional, that's in a plural sense. It's not just telling one story, it's not just telling their brand story, but it's telling many, many stories that can resonate with the wide variety of personas that they sell to. How do you plan to grow? And how do you think that the future so, technologies, like, how do you plan to scale this throughout time? You said you were in taller, toddler stage now. Yeah, um, I said taller stage. Um, toddler, was, toddler stage. No, you're fine. Um, so for us right now, it's all about we want to do more things for companies, right? So uh, we have a lot of big brands that use us and trust us and leverage us to answer the big questions of how can they create great stories. We want to do more for them. So for us, I think it's less about necessarily working with more brands, but more about doing more with the brands we already work with. Because we work with some like amazing companies. We work with Microsoft, Home Depot, Aetna. Like, we have the brands that anyone would want to work with. And I think now it's just a matter of how can we you know, really be that trusted data geek for them. Mm-hmm. How is TrackMaven making a difference in the future of the U.S. economy? So I'm a big believer in conscious capitalism. And so here... We try and be a really good employer. Like, you know, we do three months paid paternity and maternity leave. We try and set an example of how if you treat people well and you hire well, you'll do well financially. And I think that's a really important example that I want to set to other people and show them that you don't have to be cutthroat. And in fact, um, being cutthroat with your employees is actually worse business. Why so? Um, because you end up in a cycle of bringing people in, burning them out, chewing through them. You lose that institutional knowledge. You lose that tribal knowledge. And just generally, you know, people who are disengaged and unhappy at work do worse. With that being said, um, I remember a few months ago I ran across an article about the state of things with the tech companies out west, especially that culture. How do you think DC is a little bit different with the startup culture and tech culture, if different at all? Hmm. 
Great question. What tech trend should companies adapt to in order to survive for the future economy? I think the thing that's going on right now is that everything that's a commodity task is getting automated. And right now, that's traditionally been through standard software, but now we're seeing the introduction of AI and machine learning into you know, corporate environments and into corporate workflow. And I think that is going to be a huge shift in how businesses operate, what roles they hire for. And I think traditionally we've thought of automation, we've thought about blue-collar jobs, but now it's a lot about white-collar jobs. And I think companies have to be prepared for that. They have to be mindful about that. They have to be proactive about that. They have to communicate with their employees so that there's trust because there's going to be a huge change and mix-up in the economy and a lot of destabilizing forces that you know, could create a lot of opportunity to be killed by an innovator. How should companies adapt with changing technology in order to scale? The thing that companies need to do to scale in the digital era when there's so many things going on is they have to make decisions that are data-assisted and data-driven. So you have all these activities, all these processes going on, you know, whether that's on software or even machines, and it spits off data exhaust, right? So now assembly lines... All of those machines are connected devices, and they're sending off all sorts of data that you as a business need to use in order to stay on top of your game because competitors, either currently existing or new, will use that. They will be more efficient, and ultimately they'll win as a result. And so I think that's the most critical thing in this moment is how do you build your culture and your organization to become really, really good at leveraging data. And this could be, you could be an insurance company, you could be a mortgage company, you could be a big consumer brand, it doesn't matter. All of those functions have data and you need to use that to survive. Is that similar advice you would give to a small business? No. No. I think small businesses, you should definitely be mindful of data and I think there are ways in which you can use data through surveys or reviews or that kind of thing. But I think... Some small businesses get overwhelmed because they see all this stuff about big data and they freak out. But in reality, the highest you know, leverage point if you're a small business typically is like rolling out the best practices in your organization. Can you name a person who has tr- made a tremendous impact on you as a leader and maybe someone who uh, helped mentor you? And what did you take away from them to help establish yourself as a leader in your business? Oh my God, I have so many. Um, there's a ton of people who I trust for advice. One of my board members is a guy named Joe Payne who previously sold Oracle, sold Eloqua to Oracle for almost a billion dollars. And you know, he taught me very early on into starting this company that it's incredibly important to be long-term oriented and to focus on integrity because this is a very long life we live and people come into your life, they leave your life and they come back. And if you treat people poorly, It will come back to haunt you, even if you don't think anyone's watching. And more importantly, it's the right thing to do. And so I think that was a really good lesson as a young entrepreneur was just like, you know, I think when you're in the hustle and bustle of a startup, you're always constantly looking one day ahead, but it's still really important to look five years or 10 years or 50 years ahead. That belongs on one of those motivational calendars. Yeah, I agree. Pretty mountain. (laughs) (laughs) Where do the great ideas come from within your organization? The great ideas come from everywhere, but... One of the places that I think is so important is our customers. So really being attuned to our customers, 
What are they saying? What are they interested in? You know, they're the ones who are using the platform day in and day out. How are they using it? What's not working? What is working? And you know, they're the ones who have to incorporate this in their daily routines. And so I think listening to your customers is a really powerful way to just to just see ideas across a huge sample set, right? Because we have hundreds of customers. You know, let's say they each have 10 users of the software. It's thousands of people. And so rather than saying that, hey, here in our castle, we know what's best. I think when you listen to our customers, like that's when you can really generate innovation that is functional, it's usable, it's not just novel. Mm-hmm. So for you and yourself, uh, do you set aside specific times to cast vision to your employees and to other leaders? Yeah, so with a 50-person company, a big part of the job is to constantly communicate where we're going. And so I try and do that through a few different paths. So we have a kickoff twice a year, beginning of the year, middle of the year. We have monthly all-hand meetings, and then weekly I send a note to everybody because ultimately my job is to make sure that there's a defined place of where we're going making sure everyone's aligned and swimming in the same direction or rowing the same direction and getting there. And if not, course correcting before we hit the glacier to take this metaphor way too far. Yeah, I understand. It's so important to have everybody on board. Yeah, that was that was good. The metaphor continues. <laughs> We're on a ship. What advice would you give to a young entrepreneur or a new startup or someone who has a dream and a vision and they want to go after it? What would you tell them? In regards to pursuing it, the the best advice I would give to a new entrepreneur is to look for problems. Don't fantasize about solutions. So I think a classic mistake people make is like, "Wow, it would be great if we had a product that did A, B, and C, or you know, a social network for dogs, or whatever it is." Right? In reality, the the thing, the way that great businesses are formed is that there's a problem someone identifies and is passionate about, and they spend the next 10 years of their life solving that problem. And the ways that you solve a problem is actually highly iterative. It's not a one-and-done thing. And so the most common mistake I see first-time entrepreneurs make is that they come up with an idea, and then they talk about you know, needing to find product market fit, which is crazy because if you're an entrepreneur, you should have a problem. You should have a market and that should already be there. So when you're building stuff, it should be automatically fitting in there. Otherwise, you're being way inefficient. I agree. So just going to wrap it up here. Is there anything else that you would like to say to anyone who's listening? I think one other thing is that for anyone starting a company, I think taking care of yourself is really important and self-care because it's a marathon, not a sprint. You know, most businesses that go public takes 10 years to 13 years on average in order to do that. So that's a long period of time. So if you're not sleeping, eating junk food, not exercising, you are going to burn out. You are going to break. And I think it's really important for people to be incredibly mindful about that and remember that they're people, they're humans, they have bodies, bodies break. I feel like you're preaching to me right now. (laughs) Oh, I know. I want to hear about your book. Please Mm -hmm. tell me about that and where we can find it. So my book is coming out June 12th, 2018, and it's all about how anyone can have moments of creative genius. It explains the science of why that's true and how you can do it, and it'll be sold everywhere books are sold. Great. Let's go ahead and pre-order it. Pre-order it today. It's happening. Well, thank you so much. Thank you.